Happy Monday. This is John Holtzman, and welcome to the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast, where we try to make sense of the beguiling new planet we find ourselves on. And this is just to say it's great to be back from the last set of the Magical Mystery Tour. I'm just back from a great war game I played with my friends at Barclays in New York, and very excited to keep the things going ahead of us. If you're keeping track of my traveling, the next stops are Barcelona. Uh, later on in the month, and Lake Como, which is sort of a home game, and then New York again for my friend at my friend Kashif at Credit Agricole to round out the year, and that's eight events just in the uh, time of autumn. So this has been incredibly busy, but gratifying to be back out there talking to so many people and trying to think through the world together, which is what, of course, we do on this podcast as well, and what we're going to do today. We, there's so much to talk about. But I decided to focus one more on Ukraine because we're reaching a real division and there's been, you know, almost a criminal intellectual lapse of seriousness by the Biden administration. And so the title of this is somewhat misleading. Reigning in Zelensky is true. We have to rein in the president of Ukraine, counterintuitive as that seems. But the reason for this is a criminal abdication of American responsibility for its own interests. And just this last week, we can see that the cracking of Biden's kind of mindless cheerleading for the Ukrainians has begun on both the left and the right. On the left, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the far left of the Democratic Party, um, wrote a letter that they immediately, in a very gutless manner, disavowed, saying that Biden should focus more on diplomacy to end the war because America had so many needs at home. Um, and this, uh, again, is always telling the truth in Washington to can get you into great trouble, as I found out during my time there over Iraq. And they immediately disavowed this letter because there was a huge backlash from the mainstream foreign policy establishment, the blob, who accused them of not supporting uh, Zelensky unthinkingly. And so they immediately fell into line. But the fact that they wrote the letter shows that the far left is restive about the blank check that we've given to Ukraine. And let's be clear, the United States is keeping the lights on in Kiev. The United States has provided $66 billion. Yes, you heard that right. $66 billion in assistance to Ukraine of all kinds. That counts military, that counts reconstruction, humanitarian, the whole kit and caboodle up until the end of October has cost us $66 billion. And this is more than the rest of the world has put forward for Ukraine together more than the rest of the world has put forward together. And yet, despite the fact that we are keeping Ukraine going, and in the beginning, again, as everyone who follows my podcast knows, I was certainly for in the emergency times after the February invasion, giving Ukraine emergency measures to stop it being dismembered by Vladimir Putin. I'm still for that. Mission accomplished. But that doesn't mean that I mindlessly write blank checks for Ukraine for the rest of time. And the Biden administration has no Ukrainian policy other than to fight a proxy war with the Russians, as Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin let slip, again telling the truth, which got him into trouble, and at the same time mindlessly supporting Zelensky. Well, let's think through the dangers of this and also the practical consequences of this mindless support that we're giving them. Uh, the first fact is that any realist knows that no two countries, however close and however closely allied, have precisely the same interests. And this is certainly true with the United States and Ukraine. Zelensky's interests are that of every Ukrainian nationalist now on the offensive, now the strategic initiative lies with them, 
And for the first time, they're beginning to see some good news across the border in the Northeast, where around Kharkiv, the offensive has gone well, and the attempts to retake Kherson, the only major city in the South that the Russians have held. It's a city of over 200,000 people, and the Ukrainians seem about to mount a counteroffensive, hopefully racing to do so before winter sets in. And so in this very happy time for them, of course, they're not willing to make concessions at the moment. And if I were Zelensky, nor would I. But I'm not a Ukrainian nationalist. I'm an American nationalist. And so my interests are different. And to just acknowledge that reality is more than the Democratic Party and the foreign policy blob can, can envisage. If you don't mindlessly support Zelensky, and let's remember that Ukraine before the war was a corrupt, quasi-oligarchic run, basket case economically. Zelensky wasn't making much headway on changing that. A quasi-democratic state run by oligarchs this is not a, a democracy in the sense that defending the Czech Republic in the 1930s would have been. And this is outrageous that we're pretending it's something. It's not. And that doesn't mean, again, that I wasn't for giving them weapons at the time, but I'm not from giving them weapons for all time and writing blank check after blank check to them. And that's because my interests are different. Zelensky's interests are to retake every square kilometer, every mile of Ukrainian territory. And that goes back to the pre-2014 boundaries. That's all of the Donbass and all of Crimea. That's what Zelensky intends to do, and he forthrightly says so. I don't fault him for saying this. He's merely speaking the truth. And if he didn't say this, he wouldn't be president of Ukraine for very long, because this is the overwhelming desire of his government and a majority of his people. And in this vacuum where the United States doesn't articulate its war aims, of course he's going to run with the football in this intellectual vacuum. And that's what's so very dangerous indeed. Not that Zelensky is articulating and working on his own interests, but that the United States is not articulating and defending its interests. And the bottom line is the Biden administration from Biden on down say in lockstep that the war will be decided whenever the Ukrainians decide so. Well, this is utter nonsense. I'm paying for that war. The money comes, and this is the foreign policy blob of which I have been a part in Washington, utterly forgets, and why populism has a lot to say, This they utterly forget. This money comes from hard-pressed American taxpayers, Americans who are worried about the opioid crisis that no one on either coast talks about because it doesn't affect them. This is about a cost of living crisis going on, a recession beginning, the Fed and other elites taking their eye off the inflation ball, and now we're all going to pay the piper for this. And for all these reasons, the United States going into recession with a vast cost of living crisis where the lower middle class, what used to be known as the working poor, are struggling with these huge rates of inflation to meet, make ends meet. And we're writing mindless blank check after blank check to a bunch of corrupt oligarchs and the money's disappearing into a black hole. And we're going to keep doing this without articulating this interest. This is a criminal negligence of the interests of the United States. There's this domestic aspect to it. And in fact, soon to be Speaker of the House, Republican Ken, Ken sorry, Mr. Andrew McCarthy said very clearly that if we don't move on this front, uh, Kevin McCarthy, pardon me, said this, if we don't move on this front, um, no more blank checks if the Republicans regain control. And Kevin McCarthy is exactly right. No more blank checks if the Republicans regain control. And yet... The Democrats howl like banshees for mentioning this simple fact that there's a limit to the money that the United States can spend for a second order priority. And Ukraine is a second order priority. 
That leads me to my second point, beyond the domestic point. When McCarthy wrote this letter, this, of course, frightened all the cheerleaders, the neocons now on the left, the David Frums of the world, the Ann Applebaums of the world, wrong about Iraq, wrong about Afghanistan, wrong about everything, and yet somehow they're listened to as though you analytically can make mistake after mistake and not have it tarnish your credibility. Well, in a republic, we ought to really do better than that. And we don't. We, these people should be held to account for being wrong in the past because they're willing to spend the last American dollar, the view, for their views of how to advance the causes they put it of democracy at the point of the gun around the world. These are neocons now on the left where they ought to be trying to socially engineer things with the American taxpayers' money. And they don't get to do that. They absolutely don't get to do that for what is at best for America a second-order priority. The next point to make along these lines, and for McCarthy just speaking this obvious point, is the rest of the world isn't paying enough. I can't care more about European security than the Europeans do. That is ridiculous. And this was true in the Middle East. I can't want Middle East peace more than the Arabs and the Israelis do, particularly the Palestinians, who wouldn't take yes for an answer under Arafat when Bill Clinton came very close to a deal. I can't want the deal more than they do. And, the, and we, we become part of this process in a very mindless way. And the Europeans are giving some to the Ukrainians. But again, the United States is outspending in aid the rest of the world put together. I can't care more about European security than the wealthy Germans, the wealthy French, the wealthy Italians, the wealthy Brits do. And yet I'm doing that. The United States has other fish to fry. On to point three, the name of the game in the future, the overwhelming strategic priority of the United States in the new era, as you know who've follow my, my podcast, is clear. It's the Indo-Pacific. It's where most of the world's future economic gain and most of the world's future economic risk lie, where the other peer competitor, the only peer competitor to the United States out there, which is China, lurks, and where the United States needs to marshal allies like great power India, great power Japan, Anglosphere member Australia, and the rest of the region to combat Chinese adventurism, particularly over Taiwan and particularly in the near future. And this is what the United States should be focusing on. And instead, we're giving all our spare wherewithal to Zelensky in Kiev to fight an endless war for a second order priority. This is lunacy. And this is what happens when you don't articulate your interests clearly. It wasn't American interest to blunt the Russian invasion. It's not in our interest to write a blank check and say to Zelensky, we're going to pay for your endless war any more than it was a good idea for the United States to engage in endless wars for no strategic gain or interest gain in Afghanistan or Iraq, as we did for two decades. This kind of profligate thinking has to come to an end. The United States is indeed the great superpower of the world and will remain so, its chairman of the board, but that doesn't mean there other, aren't other people sitting at the table. Beyond superpower China, pure competitor, we have Russia, which is a great power. We have Japan, which is a great power. We have India, which is a great power. We have the Anglosphere, which is a great power. We have the EU, which is a great power, and then all the emerging market countries. By the way, nine of 10 of the most populous countries in the world everyone other than the United States, is neutral in the Ukrainian conflict. Think of who in the emerging market world is neutral. Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Turkey, Indonesia, South Africa, the parts of the world that are rising 
are neutral. They are hedging between superpower China and superpower America. We should be spending infinitely more time engaging the emerging market regional powers of the world. All these countries throw in Saudi Arabia, as we've seen as bit in the hand that feeds it, because Biden has neglected and insulted their leader, Mohammed bin Salman, and then expected him to cut oil prices to help him out. This is ridiculous. This is magical thinking. This is how children think. The other way children think like neocons is that the United States is a unipolar power. It's the only power in the world. It can do whatever it wants. They're limitless resources. This is dangerous magical thinking. The United States must care first and foremost about its own citizens. And that's what the blob has forgotten, who are utterly disconnected from American life, mainstream American life, mainstream American citizens, and think in terms of troops, money, etc. We can just throw everything at a second-order problem. And how dare I criticize us for caring more about Zelensky than we do about the opioid crisis? I can tell you which one affects more Americans who care more about Zelensky than inflation. I can tell you which one affects more Americans. And in the midterms, the Republicans certainly will win back the House. And now it looks are highly likely to win back the Senate. And part of this is this otherworldly thinking that the rest of the world matters more to Americans than Americans do. And this simply isn't true. And the foreign policy blob, whether it knows it or not, will be partly responsible for the reigning in of Biden's mindless policy. And this is what's been going on. And this needs to stop. We need to rein in Biden to rein in Zelensky. Because writing a blank check to anybody over any issue is an intellectual and moral abdication of responsibility to the American people. And they're the people that I want to keep faith with. That's the reason I do foreign policy, for the greater good of the American people. That's the point. And it isn't in our greater good to mindlessly fund a war when we have our own interests at home, when the Europeans aren't doing enough to fund Ukraine, and when our major concern, and we're utterly distracted from, is the Indo-Pacific, where most of the world's economic growth will come from and most of the world's political risk will come from. And we're ignoring all this at our peril, at our peril. And that's been going on as well. And we need to clearly articulate what our primary interests are And you don't hear a lot of that from the Biden people. Like Wilsonians, instead of picking and choosing and making the hard choices of foreign policy, instead they come up with a laundry list. I remember Bill Clinton's people doing this. Instead of picking what's most important, they'll list every problem as though they're all equally important and as though we can all concentrate on all of them at the same time and reach solutions for all of them at the same time. More Wilsonian magical thinking, not how the world works at all. You pick two or three things that you absolutely must do. Secure the Indo-Pacific for America should be first and foremost among this list, top of the list. And then you do these two or three things and devote most of your time and effort to doing them. Then there's a middle list that if things go right, you can help out with. Uh, That would be Ukraine. That's a secondary interest. And then there are tertiary interests that if, if things go right, you'd like to settle. And again, the fact that the emerging markets who are so neutral, strikingly neutral over the Ukraine war, aren't on this list is breathtakingly, breathtakingly naive. And so I think a change is going to come. And that's what's happening, is that this is so out of sync with the interests of the American people that there will be blowback and that a Republican realist foreign policy and unity around the Jacksonian populist base of the party and the Jeffersonians who who are also part of the Republican coalition will talk more and more about interests, primary interests, and only engaging on the level that we are to the tune of $60 billion in Ukraine when primary interests are at stake. 
There's a final reason that we should care intensely about Biden's abdication, the intellectual black hole that comes from mindlessly cheerleading for Ukrainians and writing checks for them. There's a final danger, and that's Crimea. Crimea, until the Khrushchev era, had for a thousand years been part of Russia. I've been there. They are Russian-speaking. They are culturally Russian. If there had been a free and fair election when the Russians came over the border and took it in 2014, frankly, if they hadn't had to um, skew the books, I think that they it still would have voted for Russia, 60-40, 65-35. So this is a Russian-speaking part of Ukraine that has been Russian-speaking and Russian-oriented for a thousand years. And Khrushchev had no business giving it uh, to Ukraine, and he did so for a variety of very odd reasons that had to do with the Soviet Union and nothing to do with ethno-nationalism on the ground. And this is, of course, where Sevastopol is, which is where the Russian Black Sea Fleet is headquartered, and it's strategically very important primary for the Russians. And if Ukraine gets going and starts winning, we reach the most dangerous of outcomes. The great danger in all this is some sort of nuclear conflict, tactical conflict, because we've never had a situation like this in history. We're now just observing the anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis as close as we came to nuclear Armageddon. Jack Kennedy in the tape said that the odds of, of war were somewhere between 1 and 3 and 50-50. I think it's probably closer to 50-50. It was a miracle and due to very good stewards, stewardsmanship. I mean, he was a good steward, Kennedy, and got us through that through a fantastically calm, uh, preeminent display of American interests, backroom dealing, keeping his nerve when everyone told him to invade, and he deserves great credit for that. Um, and so as, as we're approaching this, as, as we're going through this anniversary, it occurs to me that the only time that we could have a tactical nuclear war in the near future is when you have a major nuclear power losing a war next door. This isn't losing in Afghanistan or faraway Iraq or Vietnam. This is a primary interest. This would be like Mexico joining the Warsaw Pact and the United States fighting a war to, to subvert Mexico, losing that war, and then being under great pressure to use tactical nuclear weapons. This is an immediate interest and peril for Russia. Of all Russians think this. And for Zelensky to say, I want to retake every inch of ground, he includes Crimea in this. And if the Ukrainians march into Crimea, if the initiative stays with them in the spring of next year, and the United States has no articulated policy, isn't reigning in Zelensky to say, we're not going to allow that. Uh, we're paying for everything. And if I'm paying for things, I get to pick the dance songs, which you say privately. You don't humiliate the Ukrainians, but you say this privately to them and you articulate your war aims. And part of the war aims are Ukraine gets a fast track mission to the EU. The Europeans, particularly the Germans, do reconstruction in, in Ukraine to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars over time, a Marshall Plan for Ukraine, a path to EU membership for Ukraine, a delineation of the Donbass along 2014 lines and Crimea de facto remains part of Russia, though de jure perhaps not. And that's going to be the outcome of the war one way or the other. Nobody's going to win an ultimate victory here. So we might as well tell the Ukrainians that now articulate our interests because another American interest, which the Ukrainians have the luxury of not thinking about, is avoiding thermonuclear war. It is absolutely, obviously, should be obvious in American interests that we want to avoid this at almost all costs. And having blunted the Russian invasion, which secures an interest, a secondary interest of the United States, 
Now is the time to secure a primary interest, which is to say quietly to Zelensky, since I'm paying for the lighting you're using, since I'm keeping you afloat, you have literally no money at all, and you're a corrupt, backwater, oligarch-dominated society, and we've helped you because it isn't fair that you were invaded, and we don't want to set the precedent that invasion gets away without, impun without impunity in the modern era in Europe, and we've done that. But that doesn't mean I mindlessly and witlessly let you stumble into what will be a tactical nuclear conflict in Crimea, because that's what you intend to do, is to try to take Crimea. That increases the chances of a tactical nuclear war to over 50%, and I simply won't pay for that. We need to talk this way. This is how grown-up superpowers speak. So for all these reasons domestic reasons, dealing with Americans, caring most of all about Americans, that Ukraine is a second-order priority, that the Europeans aren't paying their fair share, and I can't want European security more than the Europeans, that we need to care about having blunted them, the dangers of a tactical nuclear war, and that we need to focus on the Indo-Pacific. It's time we rein in Biden to actually come up with national interests that are articulated about the Ukraine war in order to rein in Zelensky. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy that. Great way to start the week. For those of you who haven't subscribed, please do so now. So many of you have, and we're gratified that our community is absolutely booming. And as I travel, I keep thinking about what to do when I come back to talk to us about what's going on and for us to keep going. So know that we'll keep them coming once a week, at least, if not more, along with Garrett Murch doing his wonderful book, Ezzy's Education, which we're serializing, and Publius, of course, doing his thing uh, about the economics and J.L. Ryder doing his thing about the society. We are a little local newspaper to the world. And for those of you who have subscribed, please do give. We're only asking $70 a year for the price of my coveted cup of espresso, which I see in front of me. Please do give $70 a year so we can give you unique, cutting-edge, world-class, and on-the-money news. As I've been traveling, we've talked a lot about the political risk call record and our, our call record our assessment of what's about to happen analytically based on our model is the best in the business at well over 80%. And this is much higher than everybody else's. There are reasons for that, and they have to do with how good our team is. And I'm proud as punch that we are indeed the preeminent political risk call group in the, in the world. And we give this to you so that we can think out loud together every week. Please be part of this as we continue along our way. On to the next and have a great week, guys.